You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen, amen. Hey, you can take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue in our marriage series, You, Me, and He. And today we want to talk a message about grace and uh, growing. Uh, But before we do that, just a word uh, about Mother's Day. Uh, What a great day that this is when we can celebrate uh, mothers. And uh, it's interesting because I know for some people there's very mixed emotions about this. You've got uh, Jason and Janie in the front row. Little Caroline was born this year. Their first Mother's Day. And, uh, and then you have other folks who, you know what, Mother's Day has a real tension for them as they uh, think about maybe not the best relationship that they ever had. And they can struggle through a time like this or, or people who are trying to uh, get pregnant and so far it's just not working out for them. And uh, so there can, there can be that or, or the people who are going through the first year uh, since their mother's gone on. And, uh, and uh, so, although there's that side of the coin and the struggle, and we certainly want to respect all of that, we do want to rejoice and uh, be thankful uh, for mothers. Um, on May 8, 2016, so two years ago, um, I wrote this, put it on Facebook. I said, today, I say thank you to my mother. Now, she's in heaven today, but I continue to give thanks for her love, generosity, example, caring, and mostly for her prayers. Her faith was and still is a foundational piece to the direction my life took. Thank you, Mom. Today, I'm thankful for three more moms, my wife, Sue, my daughter, Beth, and my daughter-in-law, Lindsay, three godly women who love their Lord, their husband, and their kids. Uh, You girls are amazing. I am so blessed. Thank you. I would just say this. If you can today, um, get on the phone, Skype, go, whatever you need to do. Uh, make sure you communicate out to your mom and uh, do your best to do that. Um, I asked Sue, what do you want for Mother's Day? I think this is going to cost me a lot of money, but you know, you, it's an appropriate question to ask. And she said, I just want both of my kids to call. That's it. <laughs> I saved a bunch of money. It was a great thing. <laughs> not really, but uh, you know, it's just reach out today. And uh, even if it's not easy, it'd be a great thing for you to do based on the love of Christ that you have um, to reach out in all of that. All right, well, we want to get back into this message. It's interesting, we had an ice storm a few weeks ago, and what that happened to cause was the change of this series, and so it went from a seven-part series to a six-part series to fit. And, uh, and so today's message is two messages in one. So just sit down, you're going to be here for about an hour and a half. And uh, the good news about being at the nine o'clock series, you know I have to be done because there's another series coming. So uh, you can relax. But there's two things we want to talk about in this message. We want to talk about grace, the grace that's required in a marriage, and then growing uh, in your marriage. And we want to take the launch of that out of Ephesians 5. Let's stand together. We want to honor God's word as we read it and hear from it um, today. Starting at verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word that we hold in our hands. And 
the opportunity to explore it and see, Lord, what you have to teach us from it. And Lord, so I pray that you would give us uh, ears that uh, listen carefully, a minds that truly would seek and desire to comprehend. And then, Lord, would you work in our hearts to uh, take something out of this message, something from your word, and um, passionately follow it in our hearts and our lives. Uh, do this work, we pray, for your glory today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Well, we've been putting some pics up each week of uh, families or couples in our church. And um, before we put the first one up, because it was one of the first weddings I did in this church, it wasn't the first wedding I did. Um, not in this building. Um, the first wedding I did in this building as uh, your pastor was the Chefstoff's wedding. And uh, you guys are in the front row. You guys were up here. This was the first wedding in this building. It was the second wedding I did as the pastor here. Um, the third wedding that we did here was uh, Chris and uh, Kitty's uh, wedding. And uh, there's a picture. Notice there's a few changes on the uh, platform and so on as well. And, um, you know, they're a great story of God's uh, grace and God's mercy. As uh, we think even about Mother's Day, um, because for the longest time they were told and thought, we aren't going to be able to have kids. And, uh, and I came in this morning and Asher's here and Sarah's here, two gifts from the Lord. And uh, very thankful for them. Chris led this morning. Um, I had to get my picture back in here somewhere. And uh, so the next picture is just to prove I was actually there um, the day that they got married. Um, the next picture is of Dan and Vanessa New, and Dan uh, served in our uh, ministry here in, in the worship, and, uh, and Vanessa, they got married in uh, 2015, and uh, very thankful for them and their faithfulness, and they're expecting their first child uh, this year. Uh, the next picture is of Kenneth and Jannie, and uh, Kenneth and Jannie, um, Kenneth served on staff here until just uh, a few weeks ago, and now is still serving in our church. He's in this service, and uh, very thankful for them and their faithfulness. They got married in uh, 2013. Um, I had the privilege of, of, uh, of doing all of those weddings. The uh, next picture is a picture of a couple in our church. I didn't do their wedding. Um, Sag and Trish McKinley. And uh, Sag has served here on our worship team. I tried to use some pictures of uh, faces that you would recognize. And they got married in 03 and faithfully growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ in their marriage together. And, uh, and then Wayne and Cindy Kong. Uh, Wayne and Cindy Kong. Uh, Wayne uh, led last week, I believe it was. Um, or two weeks ago, and they got married in 2010. In the first, uh, in the first um, message of this series, um, they actually led together, um, and that was a great start. I'd like to think we were smart enough to plan that, but that was more in the Lord's timing than ours, and thankful for them. And then, and then there's a picture that might seem a little bit out of sequence time-wise, but it's a picture of Doug and Pat Grote. And... Uh, Doug and Pat are over there. Um, if you take the hair off of Doug in that picture, he pretty much looks the same. And, uh, but uh, there in this service, they got married at Centennial Baptist Church. Actually, you got married at Stouffville Baptist Church, where the wedding was. But um, in 1970, um, but the church registry that they got married um, and all the things they wrote down. So you see in the picture, she's signing her life away. Um, that's the page out of this book uh, from 1970 uh, when they got married. And uh, very thankful for them and uh, their service here in our church. And say all that just to say this marriage works. And marriage done God's way works. And uh, so as we uh, look into this series again and into this message, uh, remember those pictures and uh, be blessed by them. And then be thankful your picture's not up there. Um, two things we want to see today. In marriage, grace is the first one, and then growing is the second thing. Um, it takes a lot of grace for a great marriage. Uh, you just think about it. If you're married, there's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of I need to forgive. There's a lot of we need to help and support each other. There's, it takes a lot of grace uh, for a marriage to work. And, um, and so going back into this text, so often people want to start in verse 22. And I just believe that's such the wrong place to start. 
Uh, it's true what it says in 22, and we're going to come to it, but there's so much that Paul is saying before that's the foundation for when he gets to verse 22 that if you miss some of those things, you kind of end up in the wrong place to start. And when you end up in the wrong place to start, it's, it's hard then to pull it all together. And so you could start this message in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's get that on the table. Let's, let's just be like God. We're going to kind of get back to that. I could start there. Um, Sue said you could have started in verse 15 as we were talking about this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You could have started this message there. And, uh, and, and how is your walk? And I think both of those things are kind of summed up in where we want to start. And, and that is in verse 18. Um, because I believe if we get this part right, if we get this foundational piece right, the grace that's needed in our marriages will flow out so much more easily. It always flows out easy when things are good, but when we're struggling, if we get this piece right, so much more works together. And so uh, verses 18 and 19, they say, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing and making melody with your heart. Filled with the Spirit. This is the source of the grace that's required for a successful marriage, for a happy marriage. For a marriage that honors the Lord is a marriage that's founded out of being filled with the Spirit. The verse says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Um, when you're drunk, you're controlled by something. You're controlled by alcohol. And so he's saying, don't be controlled by alcohol. The word filling of the spirit, if you want to give that whole theology one word, it's control. It's control. Uh, don't be controlled by alcohol, but be controlled by the spirit of God. And see, so marriages where you're trying to do all this without God's help and without God's control are marriages that are in difficulty from the get-go. It's why marriage in the world doesn't work so often because they just don't have that foundation. The foundation isn't God on the throne. It goes back to the very first message that, that we talked about, that this whole thing of marriage is God's idea. And so as he's laying out and going to come to marriage in Ephesians 5, he says, let's get this right. Be filled, be controlled with the Spirit of God. Um, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit would teach us that when a person trusts the Lord Jesus Christ, they are sealed in the Spirit, they are indwelt in the Spirit, they are baptized in the Spirit. Those are things that happen the moment you trust Christ. And, and so that's so foundational even to the filling because then you are filled with the Spirit. Uh, but if you're here today... The filling of the Spirit, which will give you the ability to go through whatever you might need to go through. By the way, so much of this message is applicable outside of marriage. The things we're going to see are, are life principles as well. So if you're not married or you're not thinking about getting married or you're like, oh, I can just sit and go for a ride on this. This message is for you as well, right in this point. Um, you have to have the Spirit of God to be filled with the Spirit. And the way you get the Spirit of God is through salvation. Uh, that's how that, that's when the indwelling, the baptism, the sealing of the Spirit all happens when you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's why Christ came. Uh, the picture that we're going to see in Ephesians 5 of all that he did for us uh, so that we could have eternal life. And then I, I trust Christ and then the Spirit of God is in me. The Spirit of God is in me. If the Spirit of God is not in you, then what you need to do today is come to that place of going, I need the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need what Christ offered. I need what Christ accomplished on the cross. That's what I need. That's where I need to start. And I'm going to trust him because of the awesome work that he has done. And I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and, and you will be saved. And then for the followers of Christ, we have this be be being filled with the Spirit. Literally, uh, that's what it says. It's be being filled uh, with the Spirit. The Greek word teaches us that it's an ongoing, ongoing process that starts at salvation. In the Greek, it's in the passive sense. It indicates that it's not something we do, but rather we allow to be done to us. 
So here's the thing. So often you will hear this. It's not wrong to do this, but I'm telling you it's not complete to do this. Um, we do that when we pray before a service. We ask the Lord, Lord, that one of the elders will pray, fill the pastor with your spirit. Fill the pastor with your spirit. And I don't think that prayer is wrong. I think there's evidence of that in Scripture. But that's not primarily how you get the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't primarily come by asking that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit comes by submitting to the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit comes as we lay down our agenda and put God's agenda first. And as a result of those things that we are doing, we are being filled. Be being filled. You can quench the Spirit. You can put out the Spirit. Not that the Spirit leaves you, but in this sense, the control of the Spirit by our disobedience, by our not dealing with sin, by our whatever it might be in your life. And so this idea, this concept of, of a continuous action that moves us along, um, it's also written in the sense that it's not an option. He doesn't say, if you want to be, just think about this for a while, be filled with the Spirit. No, it says, be filled with the Spirit. There is a strength to what's being said. And so I get filled with the Spirit as a follower of Jesus Christ as a result of the confession of known sin in my life. See, there's not really much point in asking God, fill me with your spirit if there's sin in your life and you're not willing to deal with it. How can you ask God to fill you when you're rejecting and you're being disobedient to what God's called you to do? Along with that confession comes the, the reality, the truth of repentance. I'm turning away from that. I'm not into that anymore. When you're dabbling in sin all the time in your life and you're like, why does God feel so far away? Because you're not filled with the Spirit. Why are you not filled with the Spirit? Because you're disobedient to what God's called you to do. And so we confess our sin and we repent. And that's an ongoing process too because that's sanctification. That's growing up in Christ. Confess your sin. It's the surrender of your will, your intellect, your body, your time, your talent, your positions, your desires. It's, it's saying, Lord, I want what you want. I'm setting all of those other things aside. You're on the throne. You're first. So you want to be filled with the Spirit. You can't ask, God, fill me with your Spirit when those things aren't being done in your life. Be being filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit when you obey in obedience. Do you know something that God's calling you to do? God's word tells you to do today. And you're not doing it. It's keeping you from the filling of the spirit. Not from the possession. Not that you're not God's child. But you're not yielded. You're not given over. You're not, you're not sold out for him. You're not saying, I want the control of the spirit in my life. And, and your life ends up filled with doubt and wondering and... Be being filled with the Spirit. When we die to self, the Lord fills us with his Spirit. So I sum it up like this. Being filled is not so much something we ask for. It's a result of right living. Being filled with the Spirit is not so much something you ask for, but it's a result. It's a result of doing the right things that God calls you to do. And then there are some things that come out of that, right out of the text. Um, one of them is singing. Um, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what happens to people who are filled with the Spirit. Um, giving thanks, in verse 20. Um, giving thanks is one of the things that is a part of the filling of the Spirit. And then he comes down to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A willing submission is what comes out of the filling of the Spirit. So as we go through this message and you think about these things and you think about your relationship in your marriage and what God's called you to, um, go back and take a look at, am I be, being filled with the Spirit? Have I come under the Spirit's control? Am I willing to do what God desires in my marriage? Am I willing to do what God desires for my spouse? But before Paul ever gets to verse 22, he gives us verse 21. And this is the verse about mutual submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
See, the word when we get to verse 22 gets everybody all upset. The reality is Paul's been teaching about this all the way through the book of Ephesians. And he comes to verse 21 he says, Our whole lives as followers of Jesus Christ is to be lives of submission. To be lives of submission. That word submission means to come under rank. To be under rank. It's a, it's a military term. You have the generals and the colonels and the majors and the captains and the sergeants and the privates. and They all have their level of rank. And you're obligated to respect those who are in a higher rank than you are. It doesn't make them smarter. It doesn't make them more talented. It's the order that's the way the military works. And it's the picture that God chose to use in the way that we are to interact with each other. Forget about marriage for a moment, just in our lives. We are to be people who willingly submit to one another. And how do you do that? Through the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can't do this. First of all, you won't want to do this. The world has no desire for this. But here Paul says... Submit to one another. How? Out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another, another way to say it, in the fear of God. When we're filled with the Spirit, it will, slow, it will show by our, our mutual submission to each other. And submission will be done in the fear of God and not in the fear of man. Come under rank. Come under rank. Do you know what they call it in military terms, especially naval terms, when you don't come under rank? They call it mutiny. And that's what's happening in our lives when we're not submissive. When I'm not submissive to Christ in the obedience to what God's called me to, we're not submissive to one another. It's called mutiny. It's turning. I'm taking it into my own hands. I'm going to be in control. Uh, that's not a place you want to be in a, in a, in a, in a sense in the, in the armed forces. You don't want to be that guy. Um, we come under. And the picture for every follower of Jesus Christ is a picture of mutual submission. It's all over the scriptures. Jesus submitted to his parents. Citizens should submit to the government authorities. The, the universe will submit to Jesus Christ. Unseen spiritual beings submit to Christ. Christians are to submit to church leaders. Wives should submit to their husbands. The church should submit to Jesus Christ. Servants should submit to their masters. As Christians, we have a responsibility, and it should be a desire, to submit to God. And it's only possible when you're filled with the Spirit. Because this goes against everything that your carnal heart wants to do. And so Paul, start, Paul starts out here and talks about, you need grace. You need grace for this. And the grace for this comes by the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit for mutual submission. And then he goes on and we move into the next point about wives. About wives. And, and the reason that people, the women especially, get this bent out of shape is, uh, first of all, they took it out of context. They didn't read the scripture in the context that it was given. Paul wasn't saying life is all fine. Now you women sit down and do what your husbands say. He just finished the verse about mutual submission. Matter of fact, in many of the original texts, the word submit doesn't even appear in verse 22. It doesn't mean it's not true. It's just in the structure of the way the Greek would have been written, it would have said something more like... Um, uh, 21 would finish up with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. The principle is there. It just doesn't work well in English. And so, so he puts the word back in because it's true. It's not untrue. It's 100% true. But for them, it was just like we're going through the text. Submit to, your, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives for, to your husbands. It was just the next thing to say. And they needed to understand it. Now, here's, here's a little piece of advice. I've said this before in our church. Men, I'm be careful how I say this because I don't want you to think I don't believe God's word is God's word. Men, stop reading verses 22 to 24. Women, focus on verses 22 to 24. 
Uh, so often we get bent out of shape because you got some wingnut of a guy who's out there just, right, just on that thing. Wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. And he's not reading the rest of the text. If he'd read the rest of the text, he would never say that, especially to his wife. And so these are words for the wives. But they're words for everybody because he just finished saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the attitude that you're to have. What kind of attitude? Submit to your husband as to the Lord. As to the Lord. If, if you're not submitting to your husband, you're not submitting to the Lord. Is a disobedience to Christ. It's not just, I'm not doing that. Do you know what kind of a nut bar that guy is? I'm not doing that. As to the Lord. You need a motivation for that? Let the motivation be as to the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You know, there's an interesting word in um, these verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So here's something, an interesting nugget that I guess I rediscovered this week. That word, the husband is the head of the wife. It's only said uh, to the wives to understand. When Paul turns this on his head and he talks to the men, he doesn't bother mentioning that to them at all. He doesn't say that at all. So he doesn't say, okay, you guys, you're the head. You're the head. You're the head. He doesn't say that. It's totally missing in the next part when he talks to the men. There's some other things he talks to the men about. But he says to the wives, wives, submit to your husband. Be the model of submission as to the Lord as to the one who's the perfect provider, protector, and head. Wives, submit to your husbands as an offering of worship to Christ. You need grace to do that. You can't do that on your own. Everything inside of you will struggle with that unless you're filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you will willingly submit. You will willingly submit. Well, then he comes to husbands. Husbands love. Okay, wait a minute. How come the wives have to submit, but the husbands only have to love? Right? That's kind of how we read it. That's what's going on in your mind if you're wrestling with this. And okay, well, again, you just didn't read the text. You need to see what that costs. You need to see what that means. And so here's a couple of thoughts to kind of put through your mind because we got this idea of headship and submission going on. And so you can write this down if you want. Worldly headship, worldly headship says, I am your head, so you take your orders from me and must submit to me. I am your head, so you take your orders from me and must submit to me. That's what the world says headship is. Here's what the word of God teaches headship is. Godly headship, it says, I am your head, so I must care for you and serve you. Man, this is the part for you. I must care for you and serve you. Because that's what godly headship does. Really, pastor? You're about to see it. We think about this idea of submission. Worldly submission says, you must submit to me, so here are the things I want you to do for me. Come under the thumb. Godly submission says, you must live in a godly way, so I'm accountable before God for you. I'm accountable for God for the way I treat you, and I must care for you and, and serve you. I read this quote this week. It said, the key word love appears six times in this section towards the men in verses 25 to 33. And it denotes the husband's duty to his wife. Paul uses the model of headship only when addressing the wives and their submission to their husband's headship. He does not, however, say to the husbands, be head over your wife. Instead, he commands them to love their wives. In the comparison made with Christ's love for the church, Paul emphasizes the self-giving character of that love and its concern to benefit the other person. 
Love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, Just so the husband's self-giving love should be toward his wife for her benefit. The love that you men, men, me too, are to have for our spouses, for our wives, is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. As Christ loved the church. See, I believe the actual call to submission for men is a much higher call than it is for the women. You love your wife like Christ loved the church. Here's what I know for sure in our relationship, the practical of every day. When I get anywhere close to loving my wife like Christ loved the church, the concept of submission is like, who's even talking about it? We talk about it when we get arrogant or we get prideful or we get selfish and we're not, oh, wait a minute, we're not filled with the Spirit. That's the grace that God has given us to be able to do these things for wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church. So what's the sacrifice, man, that you're making for your wife? What's the commitment that you're making for your wife? Christ went to the cross. Christ took the shame. Christ took the suffering. He loved us. He loved us. And I'm to love my wife like that with a purifying love and with a caring love. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. God, help me to do that. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Man, you get this wrong. You're not filled with the Spirit. And one of the things that's demonstrated not being filled with the Spirit is your prayers are hindered. Man, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. So her, like, I'm not submitting to you. It doesn't even ever come up. We each have to deal with our own things in that, our own selfishness in that, our own pride in that, but God helping us, giving us the grace. Wives submit husband's love. and Well, but what if? There's always the but what ifs. So I was thinking about this. We're going to come back to some of these when we uh, talk about when marriage is a gross thing. Um, but what if your husband's asking you to sin? What if he's asking you to do something that's sinful? Then it's better to obey God than it is to obey man. Nobody's asking you to come under and do something that is sinful. And what if he's medically incapacitated or insane? Okay, you don't get just to have your opinion about that, ladies. Like, my husband's insane. But Sue would say that every day. Okay. Um, but I mean, literally. Really. Okay, yeah, you don't have to come under and do things that are being said by someone whose mind is not in the right place. What about, what about in a physically abusive situation? You're free from the obligation to submit. You don't have to submit to violence in your life. But you need to do the right things in dealing with those things. Uh, what about adultery? Uh, you don't have to submit to adultery and just accept what's going on. Uh, There are boundaries to this, and they're laid out, I think, very clearly in Scripture, and we're going to look at some of those as we go along. But those are very much the exceptions, and they might be an exception that's real in your life, but but that's not the way it was designed. It's not what God wanted for us. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. The next thing about in this message, this is an awesome picture of Christ in the church. This is the picture that that God chose for us to be a way for us to demonstrate the love of Christ. It's a way for you to demonstrate the love of Christ to each other. It's a way for you to demonstrate the love of Christ in your family. It's a way to demonstrate the love of Christ um, to your neighbors. It's a way to demonstrate the love of Christ uh, to your church. Um, A godly marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. And we're going to see this when we come to when marriage is a glorifying thing. But it's an amazing work of God. It's an awesome picture. God helping us filled with the grace that we receive by being filled with the Spirit to do whatever needs to be done so that our marriage can be a picture of the working of Jesus Christ in his church. I love verse 33. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
It's a great book that's been written. It's called Love and Respect. If you've never read it, I think you should probably go and buy it. You can get it online. Uh, George and I were just talking about a couple books we're going to get. We'll get them out here in the next couple weeks, and uh, this would be one of them. Um, he, says to, he says to us, and that's kind of the premise of the whole book that he's written, but he says, um, love your wife like yourself. Uh, one of the things that um, your wife needs to know is that you love her. Do you tell her? Do you tell her every day that you love her? I tell my wife every day those words, more than once. You know that I love you. I love you. Sometimes it's when I'm apologizing. Sometimes it's, but it's, it's every day. Um, and wives, respect your husband. Because that's kind of at the core of what a man is. He needs to know that he's respected. And so Paul finishes up this section um, with, with, that, uh, with that reality. The grace to do these things and do them well is the grace that comes by being controlled by the Spirit of God. And you cannot do this if you're not willing to come under the Spirit's control. So God helping us to surrender, to deal with sin, to obey, then we can and we will. Christian life is a life of a mutual submission and it demonstrates itself in a picture of Christ in the church in your marriage. Well, I said this message is like two parts. This was a part A and next part B. And, um, but I don't have as much time for part B. So you get now to flip your notes over and go, oh my goodness, he's only gone that far. We've still got all this to go. Um, it's going to go fast. So hold on tight. Because really the practical here is, uh, what does your marriage look like? How is your marriage growing? Is your marriage growing every single day? Is it something that you're working on that you move forward? I've said before, we're in our 39th anniversaries this month. And, and I'm still learning so much. I, I, just when I think I got it all figured out, Sue changes the rules. So just it never, the growing part of this never changes. And so these are 10 things I've chosen. You might come up with some different ones, but here's 10 things that I think in every marriage, if you do these things, they're going to help you in being filled with the Spirit. They're going to help you in having a successful marriage. So hold on tight. Let's go. Here's the first one. Growing together through prayer. Growing together through prayer. I'm amazed how many couples don't ever pray together. You come to prayer meeting, you come to small group, you, you pray with uh, guys and you pray with women, but you don't pray with each other. The very one thing that Christ uses as the picture, Christ in the church, you don't do that. Um, pray together. We weren't perfect at this. We didn't do this for a long time in our marriage. And we were so busy doing other, raising kids, praying with them, doing all those kind of things, but we didn't pray together. Um, we do it every day now. We pray together. It's not long, but we do it every day. Um, pray with your spouse. Man, if you're not doing it, start today. Ladies, if he doesn't start today, just say, can we just pray together? Can I just pray? And just start. How do, you, how do we expect God to be ruling in our marriages when we're not casting our cares upon him because he cares for us? And so pray together. But pray for your spouse as well. Um, even separate from that, pray for your spouse, for their work, for their choices, for their integrity, for their priorities, for their health, for their walk with Christ. Be praying for them. So often what happens, you get into a tough spot, and so what happens is nagging and complaining and bickering and not praying. See, it's hard for me to get to the end of the day knowing we're going to lay down in bed together and we're going to pray together. How do I go into knowing that's coming and I'm going to do that with my wife if I've been doing these other things over here? It's just a great motivator for me to keep things in the right priority, keep things in the right order. Pray. If you're not doing it, just start doing it. Pray with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your relationship. Pray for faithfulness. Pray for growing in love. Pray for your kids. That's part of what marriages was for, for their salvation and their safety and their sanctification. Pray for their future as well. Pray for other people, how God would use you in their lives. But pray. Pray together. Here's the second thing. Growing through the word together. We need to be reading it ourselves. We need to have our own personal quiet time, but we need to be in God's word together. 
uh, whether it's a devotional you read together, whatever, but you need to be focused on the Word of God and what it's teaching you together. Maybe it's sitting down and talking about a message more than what you just do in small group, but just what are we learning? How is it applying in our lives? What difference is it making? Growing through the Word. Here's another one, growing through forgiveness. See, I wondered where I should start this message. I could have started this message at verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Growing through forgiveness. This is a lifetime process. There are disappointments in your marriage. There are things happening, and you, you, need to be, um, you need to ask for forgiveness for things you do, and you need to offer forgiveness, and, and that goes on. That's not you get that figured out in the first year, and then everything's fine after that. No, there are going to be disappointments along the way. There are going to be bad attitudes. There are going to be hurtful things that are said. And 70 times 7, Jesus said. When you think you've run out of times to forgive, ask yourself, how many times has Jesus forgiven me? And how many more times is he going to forgive me before I get to heaven? Men, love your wife like Christ loved the church. He doesn't give up on you. Don't you give up on her. Forgive. Offer it liberally. When your spouse comes and says, I am so sorry. Here's how I failed. I, you had this expectation. I didn't meet this expectation. We agreed we would do something. It didn't happen. Offer it liberally. Receive it willingly. And receive it humbly. And then let that thing go. Drive the stake in the ground. I'm not bringing this up again. Uh, we're moving forward in our marriage. Growing through forgiveness. Here's another one. Growing through communication. Growing through communication. Use face-to-face -face whenever possible. Um, I know of a situation, not in our church, but a situation right now of a couple, their marriage got to such a place that virtually their communication was happening through texting. Now just think about that. Because maybe it's your story. Maybe most of the things you actually talk about in your relationship are done through some electronic means. That's a fail. Talk to each other. Get face-to-face, -face. not FaceTime face-to-face, -face. <laughs> okay, but face-to-face. -face. Actually talk about the things that you need to talk about. Uh, set aside the time for communication. It's so easy to be harsh when you've got your, your computer set on caps and you're typing everything out there and then sending it off. And it's not thought through and it's not prepared and it's not prayed over and communicate Face-to-face, -face. if you're not doing that, start doing it. If you need help, to do it. get some help from a small group leader, from a friend, someone who can come alongside and help you. But, but work hard at communication. If, the, if you can't literally be in the room, can Skype or FaceTime work? Yeah, they can, but they're not the best plan. Can you do it over the phone? Well, you can, but the best way to do it is to actually talk to each other. Communication. Seek Seek to do it in a way that brings honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a communication killer. Turn off the stinking television. Turn off the TV. Sit across the table and actually talk to each other. But I might miss the second period of the hockey game. Well, you just decide what's more important in your life and what will bring more glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn off the television and actually talk to each other. Uh, something Sue and I do now when we go out for dinner, and that is um, we put our phones on the table and we don't touch them. Okay, I got the disclaimer. I got to be totally honest. When Sue goes to the washroom, I check stuff. Okay, but, <laughs> but when she's there, it's on the table or it's put away. And we're not checking stuff, and we're not. And the only time it gets picked up is if we're checking something because we were talking about it. Now we've got to Google something because we don't know the answer to our question. But it's done in the mutual communication of what's going on. It's scary to me. You watch, you sit in a restaurant, you watch people. We were watching a family the other day, there was like five of them. All of them had their personal devices out, and all of them were just like all over the place. And nobody was talking to each other. These, these tools that are supposed to help us communicate are killing us. Talk to your spouse. Talk to them. Communicate. Here's another one. 
Growing through conflict. Really, Pastor? Growing through conflict? Yeah. Conflict's inevitable. It's going to happen. At least half of the time, conflict's going to happen because you're an idiot. So, you know, just take ownership of half of it to start with. And conflict's going to happen. It's an inevitable thing. It happens in Scripture. You see it all over the Bible. It's inevitable. It's actually good for us to grow in those things and yield in those things and trust the Lord in those things. Growing uh, through conflict is rooted in selfishness. It's rooted in pride. It's rooted in I want what I want. And, and it's solved by the uh, filling of the Spirit because then you very quickly get to what does the Lord want in this? Not what do you want, what do I want, but what would the Lord want for us in this? And let that be the way that you make your decision. But conflict is real. I would say in that fight fair, um, people who tell you they don't fight in their marriage are just liars. That's all they are. Everybody does. They do it in different ways. Sue and I tend to be vocal, and so we get going, and it's kind of crazy sometimes. And we get going, we get louder and louder, and, and even to the point where she would say, you don't need to raise your voice. And I'd say, I'm not raising my voice. Do you want to hear me raise my voice? i got to raise my voice. Now we're not even fighting about what we were fighting about. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so that's how we, we tend to get it out, right? Um, it took me a while to learn, because I'm, I'm the more vocal one, and Sue would stop. And I'm thinking... <laughs> I won until about two days later when something else comes up and that thing comes back on the table. I thought I won that two days ago. Right? Yeah, no, you didn't. And um, fight fair. A couple real practical things and don't use tears as a weapon. Don't use tears as a weapon. Some people can turn them on, turn them off. And um, I remember one guy was teaching me of some stuff about this, and he goes, um, yeah, I'm hurting inside too. So when your wife's crying, you just, the tears don't come out for you, but I'm hurting inside too. It's not a fair tool. Don't use, to, don't use tears. To the point, if it ever gets to the place where Sue has tears, I know I crossed the line somewhere way, way back there, and I'm in deep, deep trouble. Because she just would never do that. She wouldn't manipulate me through tears. Men, don't don't fight unfair by your proximity or your size. Or I could get up in Sue's grill and overwhelm the whole thing. Don't do that. Sit down and talk and work things out. And be willing to forgive and willing to let things go. Don't ever use physical. Work hard dealing with conflict in your marriage. Get things dealt with quickly so they don't become a bigger deal. The last thing I'd say about that is don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. Every couple Sue and I have ever counseled here in this church, we've said, I, I can never remember a time ever that I went to bed angry at my wife. Ever. And I look at her and go, ever? She goes, I can't remember any time we went to bed ever. Did we always agree? No, there's lots of times we went to bed we didn't agree. I'm not talking about how you have to agree, but what do you get angry about these things for? Most of them, by the time you wake up in the morning, you're like, what was I thinking? And the Lord gives you clarity through sleep or whatever, but, and so at the end of it, it's like, we're not going to get this figured out tonight. But you know I love you. You know, this has nothing to do with whether I love you or not. And so then we, now we go to sleep. Angry at each other. And if you're still at that point, then you've got to get that dealt with and get it. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. There's the biblical principle. Um, get it dealt with. Doesn't mean you have to agree. Doesn't mean you have to have it solved. There are things that's going to take time. But tomorrow, honey, we're going to come back to this and we're going to talk about this again. But you know I love you. And best I can with God's help, we're going to work this out. Now, there's a little caveat in this because um, I'm the guy who my head hits the pillow and I'm gone. Okay, and Sue's head hits the pillow and her mind just starts to go like crazy. Okay, so even that has its downside because I'm, honey, you know I love you, right? She goes, yeah, you know. <laughs> and for the next hour, she's thinking about what we just talked about. Okay, so it's not necessarily fair. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying deal with your conflict. Don't go to bed angry. A few more. Here's another one. Growing through commitment. Growing through your commitment. Next to God, your spouse is your next priority. Keep that in line. Don't lose sight of the priority, the, the commitments you made to each other. Work hard at your friendship. Seek their wisdom. 
Work to keep that fire burning. Go on dates. I, I've always liked the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. He talks about how people love in different ways, words of uh, affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Um, Sue's dad was an acts of service guy for sure. And, uh, and so, um, not so much for me. Um, and, uh, but for Sue's mom, his wife, he would always open the door in the car for her. You would just see it. And I watched and I saw that the whole time we were dating. He, every time they went out, he goes, he opens the door for her. And I go, oh, I guess I need to do that. So I opened the door for her and I did it right up to about one month after we got married. <laughs> he did it right up until she never got in the car again. Um, but how are you working at this uh, growing in your commitment for each other? Work at it. Growing through intimacy, we're coming to that in another message, but um, intimacy is way more than sex. And how are you growing and spending time and communicating and another one, growing through family? One of the purposes of marriage is to have children, to multiply and fill the earth. That's what God's word says. And I know there are people in our church who are trying right now and can't have kids or haven't had kids yet. Um, well, that was, um, that was Chris and Kitty's story. They were told, you can't have kids. Um, and um, Asher and Sarah are a grace from God and a blessing from the Lord. And I don't know if that's what the Lord will do for you, but I'm mean, don't give up and trust the Lord. And others have adopted as a way of having a family, and good for you. Um, um, but this idea of family is part of what marriage is about, and wrestle that to the ground. Don't just get to, you know, kids are a problem. I don't think we're going to have any. Um, just think about, is that selfishness? Is that, what is that going on in my life that this thing that God designed marriage for, we're kind of stepping aside in that part, growing through family, growing through love and respect for each other. That's verse 33 of Ephesians 5. Here's the last one. Growing through worship together. This is back to marriage as a God thing. One definition of worship says, worship is the actual act of expressing love, praise, and adoration to God. So here's an idea for you. Your worship to God as it relates to your spouse is a way for you to express love and adoration and praise to God for the gift that you have as an act of worship to the Lord. Those are 10 things I'm working through. You might have different things, but God helping us that we'd be people of God who put him on the throne, filled by the spirit, working through these things for his glory. Well, so what? Takes a lot of grace to make a marriage work. But here's the hope. We're not in this alone. It's not just you and your spouse trying to figure it out. Be filled with the spirit. Put God first. Put him on the throne. Yield yourself. Set your things aside. Putting God on the throne, putting him first. He will sustain you in the process, and he will give you the courage and boldness for these things to work out for his fame and for his glory. Are you working hard in the grace of marriage filled with the Spirit, growing in your marriage so through it, you would honor Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge that comes from it. There's something we have all heard. I'm reminded of things even as I preach this message that I need to get back at and I need to work harder at. And, but Lord, I thank you that I'm not um, going to be successful in this by myself. Sue is an amazing helpmate for me, as so many of the spouses are in this room for, for their spouse. But, Lord, ultimately, even that's not enough. But you are enough. And the grace that you provide in our salvation and the grace that you provide in our keeping is the grace that you will use to give us marriages that bring you glory. Work these things for your fame and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.